Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us cross eyes so that we see this world through eternity invading time at the cross of Christ. We ask in his name, amen. Just a word about the title of the sermon. That's not original with me. I'm sure you've heard it before. I first encountered it as a high school student at a Walther League rally. Do any of you remember Walther League? Yeah, McGregor, Iowa, they had a young pastor who was really very clever. And I thought, wow, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? That kind of says it all. I want to start with my very favorite Soren Kierkegaard quote. Now, you can go on the internet and find out what his middle name is, because the abbreviation for Soren Kierkegaard is S-A-K. Uh, it's probably Alfred, or who knows. But here goes. Here's my favorite Soren Kierkegaard quote. From the perspective of the moment, never was a sanctified life so wasted as when Christ died on the cross. But from the perspective of eternity, never has God accomplished so much as when Jesus died on the cross. Our text tells us about Jesus' brothers, and they are a good case study for how the world thinks. Okay, Jesus, if you're going to be popular, go do some miracles and get public support and wow the crowds, and that will bring you followers. Problem is, not the kind of followers Jesus wants. He does not want followers who are swayed by externals. He wants followers who have been touched and changed inside. So, the perspective of the moment is we live for the here and now. We live for this moment. Uh, even worse, some people will say this moment is all there is. The perspective of eternity is there's so much more to life than this moment or even this short life. That God, through the Easter event, has an eternity planned for us. That God is more interested in the eternal and our effect upon the eternal than he is for us just to live for the moment. Now, granted, we can rejoice and find joy in the moment, but there's so much more to life than this moment or our brief lifespan. So those two perspectives, most people in the world are living in the moment and for the moment. Christians are living for eternity. 
and for the impact, the effect they can have on eternity. So I've got four implications. And the first two are investment. First of all, investment of our money. Now, a good money manager will tell you to invest in things that have stability, that have permanence, that are not just a flash in the pan. So here's my question. What lasts forever? What can you invest in that lasts forever? People, people are going to last forever. Now, Jesus tells a parable at the start of Luke chapter 16, and it is commonly misunderstood because Jesus uses a negative example to make a positive point. He talks about a dishonest manager, and he hears in the wind that his boss is going to can him. He's going to lose his job. So he says to himself, he says, I'm, I'm too proud to beg, and I'm not strong enough to work for real labor. So what am I going to do? Oh, here's what I'll do. I'll cook the books. So if you owe my master $10,000, I'll reduce it to $5,000. If you owe my master $5,000, I'll reduce it to $2,500. Because he says to himself, when I lose my job, I want friends who will take me into their homes in the future. Now, again, don't get hung up on the fact that he's crooked. That's not the point. In fact, Jesus tells us the point very clearly. He says, in the same way, use your unrighteous money. Money's not going to be in heaven, so you have to use it now to win friends for yourself so they will receive you into your heavenly home. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Invest in missions and in ministry. Invest in people, not just for their physical needs, but for their eternal needs. So that they might hear the message of Christ Jesus, the one who died on a cross and was raised from the dead to defeat death. Again, I know this is difficult, and I've had many struggles in Bible classes with that parable. Don't get hung up on the fact the guy's dishonest. That's not the point. The point is, you can use money today to help people, and you can use money to help them with their greatest need, to know Jesus to experience his love, to be accounted righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done. Now, there's a little bit more to this parable. The Pharisees were listening, 
And Jesus says, you guys love money too much. God is not concerned about money. He's concerned about the heart. And the Pharisees who love money too much are sneering at Jesus. They get the point. He's telling them to use their money to share the message of life and eternity with people. Money is always a justification issue. Always. The reason we find it difficult to be generous in supporting ministry and mission and the physical needs of people is because we feel that our wealth is our worth. And until you get over that, you're never going to be able to be generous with your money. Now, I'm not one of those pastors who's saying, okay, give all your money to Redeemer. I'm saying go out there and find ministries that you can invest in. I am giving online to several ministries. It's quite easy. You know, when it's not real money or it's a, not a check, you don't even notice it. <laughs> so that's the first point, and that was the longest one. Uh, the second one is invest your time in serving people, in helping people, loving others as Christ has loved you sacrificially. See, the view of the moment is that I should serve myself, that I should create relationships, accumulate enough money, have success in my life or my business. That's where life is at. The view of the moment is I am the center of the universe. The perspective of eternity is that Christ is the center of the universe. And that we have the privilege and the honor of loving others in a sacrificial way as Christ has loved us. Again, this is a justification issue. We're always trying to pad our resume. We're always trying to increase our significance and worth in the world by what we do or acquire. It's always that. Everybody needs to feel worthwhile, significant, to have purpose and meaning in their life. And we think we can do it if we focus on ourselves. And I'll just give you the short version. It's counterproductive. But if you live for eternity, you see the world from the perspective of eternity, you see all kinds of people out there you can invest your time in. Now let's talk about insecurity and anxiety and depression. Because we're living for relationships that can end, for money that can be taken away, 
for personal success that can be up or down, we often experience loss. Anxiety and depression. Let me just give you a short course on depression. Uh, I had to learn this myself, and it's the only way you learn this lesson, but there are two kinds of depression, chemical depression and situational depression. Uh, the problem is most depression is situational because of a significant loss. We'll get to those in just a moment. But on the East Coast and the West Coast, we treat all depression as if it is chemical. And so you go to a counselor or to a doctor and they'll give you some medication. And in a sense that works, but it doesn't get to the real root of your depression, which it might be a job loss. It might be a loss of prestige in the community. It might be the loss of a friend or family member through death. It is a significant loss that drives you into depression. Now, one other word on depression. It's good for you. Did you know that? When you experience a significant loss, that creates stress in your life. And God has created you in such a way, he says, uh-oh, Dan's under extreme stress. I'm going to keep those organs that are necessary for his life plugging along. But guess what he doesn't need? His brain. And so you go into a dark place. You feel like you're descending into a hole because your brain is shut off to conserve energy for those organs that are necessary to your life. So how do you overcome depression? The counselor that I went to, Christian counselor, said it, it's really quite simple, though it's difficult to do. But he said, simply ask the question, in a hundred years will this matter? In a thousand years, will this matter? In a million years, will this matter? No. Whatever significant loss you have experienced, from the perspective of eternity, it's not that big a deal. Again, it's a justification issue. No matter how depressed, no matter how anxious you are, no matter how filled with worry you are, you can go to the cross and say, you know what, the thing that really matters is that God loved me enough to send his son to the cross. that in his eyes, I'm as righteous and perfect as his own dear son. And in his mind, I am as loved 
and valued as his own dear son. Let's go to the last one, and this is insecurity and insignificance. As I said previously, no one can live without a sense of significance, of worth, of value. And so often we put our significance into those six Ps, prosperity, power, popularity, prestige, pleasure, piety. And we think that our worth depends upon us. What we do, what we acquire, that's what determines our worth. Well, what if, and uh, this is not true for most of us, uh, but what if suddenly everything is taken away? Is your significance gone? Is Christ's love for you gone? Is God's valuing you and seeing you as a person of perfect worth? Uh, there's a word in the Old Testament and I don't like the way it's translated in 1 Peter chapter 2. But again and again in the Old Testament, God says to his people, you are my treasured possession. You're my treasure. More than anything else, I treasure you. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's translated, you are a peculiar people. And I used to say to my congregation, looking around, I can understand that verse. <laughs> but that's not what it meant. You are a peculiar people should be translated. You are a treasure to God. You are a treasured people. He will do anything to give you eternal worth so that you are his treasure. He will even send his son to the cross. Now, I've hinted at it, but let's kind of wrap a bow around it. How do I get an eternal perspective? Jesus says to his brothers, my time has not yet come. For you, any time is good. And you have to have your little Greek word sermon on time. Uh, the word that Jesus uses is kairos, which means God's appropriate time. When eternity invades time. When eternity transforms time. For Jesus' brothers, any time is good. Now, usually the Greek word for that is chronos, which we get the word chronology. It means clock time. It just means moment by moment by moment we plot along. Kairos is God's special time. What's Jesus talking about? He says, my time has not yet come. What in the world is he talking about? 
He's talking about the cross. When God's love, God's eternal love invades time, transforms time. When God's love invades our hearts and transforms us so that we see ourselves and this world from an eternal perspective. So let me repeat Soren Kierkegaard's quote. From the view of the moment, never was a sanctified life so wasted as when Christ died on the cross. But from the vantage or the perspective of eternity, never has God accomplished so much as when Christ died on the cross. Real quick conclusion. When people see your generosity with your money and your time, when they see that you have a different perspective on your worth and your significance, it doesn't depend on you, when they see that you don't sink into depression, anxiety and worry as frequently as they do, they're gonna think you're crazy or worse. Not to worry because the eternal perspective is eternal. It lasts. It gives you a life that is solid, that is significant, that accomplishes great things, not just for the moment, but for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again this week, take us to the cross and the open tomb that we might see you invading our time with eternity. And may that perspective change our lives today and forever. Amen.